at risk of making a funny joke not funny anymore through overanalyzing it, I think that's a good depiction of the process at work. And it's an unconscious process, but one that once we become aware of, we can in the very least measure to ourselves how much of our opinion and how much of our decisions are being shaped by that unconscious drive to, I would say, remain in harmony with society or with the people we care about. Welcome to class with Teacher Nico. Let's begin. In today's class, I would like to speak a little on the topic of what other people think. This is something I've been thinking about a little bit lately because I'm in the process of most likely um, starting to integrate into society again, right? I've been living in relative isolation the last few years. And in that time, I have delved deeply into a lot of subjects that I would not have, most likely, had I a normal life pattern, right? And now that I am going to be, presumably, interacting with people again on a daily basis, starting to become more concerned naturally about my reputation and what people think of me, what people who are meeting me think of me, what people who used to know me who are seeing me again think of me. I know I'm not alone in considering what people think of me. Jordan Peterson's newest book, uh, Something New Rules, some some more, more rules, some of our rules, he talks about this concept of there being a natural human tendency to take cues from one another. It's our power, in a way, to shape our behavior without needing to directly require intervention. I'm not explaining this as well as him, most likely, but the gist of it is that we pick up on very subtle cues from one another. And these cues tell us what is okay to do and not do. And we follow those cues a lot of times, if not most of the time. And these can be as simple as if you were, say, being too loud in a store and people are kind of looking at you. That's a cue you might pick up on, and you'd be quiet. No one had to tell you to be quiet, but you just picked up on that. Oh, that little thing they're doing tells me they're not comfortable with the way I'm behaving, so I better modify my behavior so that I'm in harmony with my environment. And that's what people do, and that's what we do on every level, from small groups and families and teams to entire countries. And so if we're always in the process of both interpreting and sending cues unconsciously, 
then we're constantly moderating and being moderated by our environment and we are and to our environment right so it's a very interesting thing to think about think about all the little ways you pick up on what someone's probably thinking or feeling about you and the way you respond to it there's a lot of ways and it's a very fascinating topic but in a sense it's tragic because that means that we're the only animal if you want to call us an animal that i know of that is necessarily obsessive about how others perceive them it's certainly possible that animals are doing the same thing I, I take that back a little bit. I'm sure they are. They are. But I don't know that it's to the extent that we do it. I don't know that animals are as dramatically self-conscious as we have a tendency to be. And it's very rational that we behave this way, both for evolutionary reasons and because they're have been there has been a raising of stakes in recent years with the advent of the internet because that introduced an entire new front in which we communicate and in which we send and give off cues now we do it through more than words alone we do it through clicking a like or not we do it through the omission of approval we do it through various different ways we do it through what we share and what we don't share what we delete and what we don't delete what we edit and what we don't edit what we post and what we don't post and we're in this constant cycle of trying to moderate our own behavior so that we are acceptable to I would say ideally everyone, but when we realize we can't be acceptable to everyone, we tend to narrow that down to the groups or people we care about most. And when the groups or people you care about most are chosen on the basis of, I guess, the benefit they can provide you and the damage they could cause you, that leaves you in a position where you basically have to be really worried about what other people think. To give an example, I heard someone tell me a, what you could call an off-color joke today, right? I'll tell you the joke, it's good. So an airline pilot is talking to another airline pilot. They forgot they left the mic on. They forgot they left the intercom on. Guy goes, man, I could use a cup of coffee and a blowjob right about now. The flight attendant hears this and rushes to the cockpit, now called flight deck, to tell the pilot that he left the thing on. A guy yells, hey, don't forget the coffee. Right? It's pretty funny. Now, 
that person can tell that joke in certain company, but that person cannot tell that joke in other company. And the joke itself is, in fact, a demonstration of those principles at work, right? The pilot in the joke is saying something that is not in any way offensive to his friend, the other pilot, but is very offensive to everyone else, perhaps, or some people on the plane, hypothetically. And the pilot knows that if he says something like that and everyone hears it, he could get fired. The flight attendant knows that, and that's why she's in such a rush to go tell him. And the guy who makes the smart-ass remark, well, I mean, he just was in a position to make a hilarious joke, I guess. But, you know, he's he's also picking up on that cue and, and making a suggestion that she's going to do something that she's not really going to do. So at risk of making a funny joke not funny anymore through overanalyzing it, I think that's a good depiction of the process at work. And it's an unconscious process, but one that once we become aware of, we can in the very least measure to ourselves how much of our opinion and how much of our decisions are being shaped by that unconscious drive to, I would say, remain in harmony with society or with the people we care about. I think a lot of the, I guess, suffering I've experienced over recent years has been in relation to this process because I always, I guess, prided myself on just kind of saying what was on my mind, on being authentic about whatever I was thinking or feeling, of not being afraid to make a joke of not being overly sensitive. And that was just kind of how I feel like I conducted myself, at least in in my creative work. But in recent years, there's been this influx of censorship that everyone knows about, but it's changed us because someone like me who spent countless hours writing all kinds of content for a site called Quora, for example. It's a website and an app where people can ask and answer questions like Yahoo Answers used to be, but a fully formed version of that that's much easier to navigate, much more engaging, and tends to pull you in. So you might end up spending hours and hours reading all this interesting information people put. Random people can just answer the question and people vote it up or down. I really loved the idea, the concept, so much so that I would spend hours every day asking and answering questions. And I built up tens of thousands of or hundreds of thousands of views. I don't know exactly the number, but it was for me, it was a lot of views. And I saw it as an in I was making where, okay, this is where I'm going to build a writing career. This is where I'm going to um, you know, gain some exposure, gain experience, and this is where I'm going to be able to establish myself as an expert in certain topics, and I'm going to be able to parlay that into future work, et cetera, et cetera. One day, my account was banned. I was blocked, and I'm not allowed to use Quora anymore once I, you know, use a different account. But not only 
was it blocked, all of my content was removed. Everything that I'd worked so hard on for all that time for free that I've given to them that they were using to make money for themselves, it was just gone. And despite my appeals, it was left unheeded. And that was, to me, a very traumatic experience because I went from being willing to work for free to not even being allowed to work at all. And that was kind of in the early stages of the censorship wave. And I, I suspect it might have had something to do with, with my having answered a lot of questions about Donald Trump in particular. That was one of the topics I'd answered a lot of questions in. And I was at the time, I guess you would have, I, I would have been considered a Trump supporter. I don't want to adopt any label like that anymore. I, I don't, I don't really want to play that, that game in general. I don't even know if I'm going to vote anymore. But the fact of the matter is, I was just a guy who was expressing himself and people had the right to read or not read what I wrote, to vote it up or down, and that was taken away from me. And ever since, I've been much more aware of the danger of writing or saying something that is deemed inappropriate or not allowed against the rules false or misinformation or disinformation or whatever they want to call it. So I've been forced to start thinking that way. And I've noticed that it bleeds over to other areas of my life where now I have to be worried about, you know, if I use the wrong word, someone's going to get really offended maybe. And maybe they're going to hate me after that. Maybe they're going to tell everyone bad things about me. It's like I have to be really careful because people are really sensitive these days. Or I have to just kind of forge a life for myself where I can not give a damn and suffer the consequences, right? And that's always been a tough balancing act for me. How do I be free to speak my mind and to say whatever the hell I want and at the same time not get canceled or or not ever be heard or seen or read because I'm on some kind of blacklist, maybe that I don't even know about. And so that's just my personal example of how that's crept into my life and why. I think if you challenge yourself to think about your own life, you could identify similar situations where you've been made aware that your behavior is unacceptable. And you've probably felt really bad about that. Even if you didn't feel guilty for what you'd done, you probably really hated that feeling of someone, anyone, telling you, hey, that's not okay. You shouldn't be that way. You shouldn't do that. There's something wrong with you. Because those instincts we have to try to live in harmony are so strong. And that's why you could have a 100 people praise you and pat you on the back and clap for you and one person be like man that guy sucks and what are you thinking about you're thinking about that one person who thinks you suck because you're so sensitive to being described in a negative way that that leaves a lasting impression and that's why even the most famous people in the world 
can be very sensitive when they're criticized. I mean, <laughs> look at Will Smith going around slapping a comedian because he said something that upset him. And that's maybe a great example of how this has gone too far, where we literally have people assaulting people in public because they got their feelings hurt by a joke. That's not to say that words don't hurt or words can't be very devastating to people, but in the context of the situation, it certainly wasn't something that merited that response. And I'm not going to judge everyone involved or or be too hard on on Will Smith even because I appreciate all the work he's made over the years. He's been very entertaining, and that's why it's hard to see this happen for everyone involved. And Chris Rock, I've always really appreciated his work as well. And so it's hard when you see two people you really admire uh, go at it like that or one of them attack the other. And for them to go from... Him hitting the ho- the host, you know, or the guy presenting, to winning an award and getting a standing ovation, to me that's just kind of a surreal sight. Because it's like everyone's kind of just glossing over the fact this guy just like hit this guy <laughs> and made a big scene. And obviously that's, that's become a fiasco and, and it's brought far more negative attention to, to Will Smith and his wife, that, which is sad because if his goal was to protect her honor he's he's failed in that because now everyone's talking about it worldwide but that's an instance where we were able to see in real time that taking place and that's perhaps the ultimate feedback you can get from society someone hitting you in the face in public that's a very clear sign oh i'm not allowed to say that and so when we witness that, and we witness there being, well, I would say there have been repercussions, but assuming there were none, and, and you know, assuming he's not, I don't know, punished for it in some way, or kicked out of the academy, or they're not, they're not going to make a stance or example of it all, and I, I'm not sure about all the details on that. I, I don't really care a lot, but if they don't, address it in some way. The message I feel like that sends is don't make risky jokes or else. Because these are entertainers. These aren't even political figures. These are people whose job is to pretend, to play make-believe, to joke, to laugh, to have fun. And these people are getting that serious? It's a weird time. And so I would like to extend to everyone a challenge, and this can also be your homework, to recognize when you're delivering and receiving feedback and to ask yourself, what's it really mean? Because we all do these things subconsciously. And when it's known that people behave that way, well, it can be manipulated. And it is manipulated. And that's why marketing works. 
And that's why propaganda works. Because we're led to believe that certain cues that don't exist, exist. We're able to watch a fictional short story in the form of a commercial of, say, a guy eating a cheeseburger and a beautiful woman finding him sexually appealing as a result, a nonsensical, baseless story, but it leaves an impression. And on some subconscious level, perhaps when you're thinking about what you want to eat, you're driving by the different restaurants, you, you might remember, hey, be nice if a beautiful woman liked me. And she liked that guy who ate that cheeseburger. So if I eat that cheeseburger, maybe that'll happen to me. And of course it's nonsense. And of course it's bullshit. But we still do it. We still do it. And we still fall into those traps. And we still get manipulated. So while this is something that's unavoidable, that we're going to do this to one another, I think by nature, the extent to which we allow it to permeate and take over our lives is optional. And that is something we can pump the brakes on. So I really hope that in the future, we develop, hopefully, laws and rights and, and standards where we have a common understanding of the limitations of our freedoms and whether there are any limitations. Because we're entering an era where if you can have your whole livelihood destroyed for saying one bad thing, and that could even happen a long time in the future. It's unpredictable. If that's the world we're going to live in, even here in America, a country known around the world as the capital of free speech, well, what's that say about us? I don't know, but I don't like it. I feel bad when my Chinese friends are asking me about this stuff. That They're saying, what do you mean you can't write these things? What do you mean you can't talk about that? What do you mean you're worried about writing a, a book about that topic? I thought America was a free country. I thought you're allowed to say whatever you want over there. I have to concede that not really. Maybe we won't be imprisoned for it. Maybe the consequences won't be as direct as it might be in other countries. But if someone could take away your livelihood because of something you say, well, maybe you have the right to say it, but at what cost? You're not going to say it. And pretty soon people are just going to not say anything that could get them in trouble. And then we live in a pretty boring place. We live in a kind of, lame world if no one's really just being themselves. So I hope that we can shift things more toward the free speech side of the spectrum. I hope that we can let loose a little, that we can let our hair down, so to speak, that we can relax, that we can change the cues that we're giving to one another, to laugh more, to take ourselves less seriously. I think that's the path that we should go down. And so this has just been a brief kind of analysis of that concept 
of our social behaviors. And you can call that like social sciences, right? The way we respond to one another. And it's really cool and it's really interesting. And I like that we're able to pick up on that. And I like when people like Jordan Peterson put in the work to think these things through and articulate a good argument about it, a good case to be made. So think about that. Think about what feedback you're receiving and how you're responding to it. Are you over-responding to it? Are you being too dramatic in your response to it? Or are you being too casual about it? What dangers do you face for the things you say or don't say? And what would it be like if you didn't have those fears? And is there a way we can lead ourselves in that direction? I think we can. I hope we will. And I'm optimistic. So this has been a pretty, I guess, quick episode. How long we got here? Quick class. Thank you for listening. And I, um, I hope you have a wonderful week. Take it easy. Stay classy, planet Earth.